I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to an edition of Bigfoot, America's Creek Devil. We changed the name recently, we just added Bigfoot in America's so that people could find the show more easily. Um, and if you have trouble finding it, you can go on YouTube and look for my channel, which is just William Jevening, and, and it'll bring all the shows up. So, uh, Forrest, Chuck, and I are talking to Bill in New York. Bill, how are you today? Good, good. How are you guys? Good, good. So, a good friend of mine, Gail Beatty, in New York, um, sent me some pictures that you took. And I guess we can go ahead and start with that or start where you like, because you, you told me earlier you had some other things that you'd been involved with. Yeah, well, <clears throat> as everybody knows, uh, my name is William, and uh, I'm an outdoorsman, avid outdoorsman, and um, I got in involved into the Bigfoot stuff, I didn't, you know, through a couple of friends. You know, I do a lot of hunting, fishing, trapping. I'm a survivalist. I have my own page, Beyond the Backwoods. Uh, I do a lot of, um, you know, urban survival, wilderness survival, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I send my uh, photos to Gail because um, I, I work in New York City, so I commute. I have a house upstate in Sullivan County in Hurleyville. And um, I have, a you know, these doorbell cameras and anything that motions in front of it, like bear, deer, uh, dog, sometimes a neighbor's dog, cameras go off. It takes video and it takes pictures. And um, while I was in the city, you know, the phone rang twice and then I got those photos. Forrest, Chuck, you guys want to uh, jump in there? Well, you weren't even, you weren't even home then at that point in time when the pictures were taken. No, not at all. But the, the ironic thing about it was we're in the, in the month of November, which is hunting season, and across the street where that photo was taken is 300 acres. There's a lot of hunters over there. Um, that day before that photo was taken from the camera, uh, my girl called me and uh, she said that a you know deer got hit last night you know, in front of the house, right by the driveway and by a car. And, um, I looked in the camera, I see the police lights and I says, everything all right. He goes, yeah, it's, it's, you know, a small buck. So I told him, you know, just drag it in the garage, you know, get the, the tape, you know, the state trooper to sign the paper. If they don't want it, you know, we'll butcher it up and save it for the meat. But fortunately my girl doesn't know how to gut him out or none of that stuff. So what she did is she decided she didn't want it. So she took it across the street in the same area, about they say about 100 yards into the woods, and left it there. So what happened was um, when I got back home, I go back and I go to look over there, and the deer was gone. And the funny part about it was that there was some signs of the paunch of the internals of, the, uh, of you know, what deer ate, you know, the grass and whatever it was. There's signs there, and she had put a trail cam We've gotten coyotes and fox on the trail cam around the deer. But here's the, the, the funny part was that the deer simply vanished. Now, for a coyote to drag this deer, um, 
it would have to make a lot of sign, which I'm a tracker. I do a lot of man tracking and wilderness, I animal tracking and deer and bear, because I'm, I'm heavily in a big area with bear. So I checked for all the signs for uh, any drag lines, uh, tracks, even the coyote tracks that were present, uh, and everything else. I didn't see no Bigfoot tracks, but the funny part is, you know, normally if someone something drags the deer, it's going to actually tear some of the hair follicles, you know, and you're going to find like any hair residue or any kind of sign. And, um, you know, I've, I've tracked going to woods and I've tracked many coyote kills right to a crime scene and actually evaluate the crime scene. It was able, you know, to tell the whole picture. I even did a video for Gary Hootenholler on that, but it's kind of the funny thing was that there was no sign whatsoever. And there was no, uh, I mean, I checked the whole perimeter. I mean, I was back and forth. I looked for tracks. I couldn't find nothing. But this thing just couldn't simply vanish. There was no sign of people, indications of any person walking over there, uh, you know, to take this animal. So it just simply vanished. But then, then, you know, it's ironic that the next day or so, you know, my camera goes off and here's this shattery figure, you know. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm a flesh and blood guy. You know, I believe in Bigfoot. And, um, but, you know, I'm a flesh and blood guy. I like to look for, you know, all the tall tale signs. Um, but my camera normally would not go off unless there's something present. So that's what kind of, you know, was interesting about the whole scenario. So later on during hunting season, during the weeks, I, uh, tagged out, I, t- I got a nice buck and a doe and butchered them up and everything. And I decided to take one of the carcasses and take it to the opposite side of the woods and just put it in, in a pile and uh, leave it there and check. And uh, sure enough, it was not hit until like almost a couple of days later. Then I found, uh, you know, the, that the coyotes chewed on it. But what kind of puzzled me was the hindquarter legs were broken in half. Mm. That takes a lot of power. And a coyote can bite the hindquarter, but he's not going to snap the whole hindquarter just like that. And bear are denned up, so there's no sign of bear at, the, at, at this point, and there was no activity of bear in you know, you see coyote tracks when they were eating, like, the rib cage and stuff, but there was no sign. So kind of puzzled me. So I contacted Dale. I contacted Gary Hootenhaller from, from NY, you know, BS. And uh, we discussed it. And, and I, you know, Gail asked me if she could share the photo. I said, sure, sure. You show it to everybody. Let's see what happens, you know. So to then, you know, that if you look at that uh, photo, if I measured it from standing up on that tree, it's approximately by, like, seven to eight feet, pop. And, um, but it's weird, you know, why would my camera go off twice? I had, what time, oh, excuse ahead. me, I'm sorry, Jack. What time no, of day was that? I don't remember seeing a date time stamp on that uh, picture, if there was one. The time of the day had to be like uh, during early in the day and early in the morning. You know, as you see in the photo uh, that I submitted to him, um, it's a cloudy day. So even with, the uh, shadows in a cloudy day is kind of a little, you know, minute unless there's a certain amount of light that's going to go there. Um, normally on my cameras, if a car drove by on the road, it'll activate, you know, especially with mm-hmm. the game. I got deer coming all the time. So it's just, I, you know, like I said, I can't say what it is, if it is, but, and I'm being honest and logical about it. Um, but it is very, very intriguing. And it's very interesting because there has been recent sightings in New York state. And uh, we're all looking into it. But this is in front of my house. This is weird, you know? Well, Bill, I got, I got a couple of things, actually. Um, I actually 
saw the photo a couple of days ago. It was on, I think it was on YouTube on NVTV, I believe is, is where I saw it. And I was going to ask you what type of camera was it that took the picture? Is that, was I, that I have an a, AT, AT&T. Like a, what I got a home, a home bell camera security system. Okay. So yeah, anytime you got any kind of motion in front of your place, it's going to take a picture. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right. And it also has motion sensors. So anything that comes by, I have um, sensors around the whole perimeter of the property. I have also trail cams that are motion sensors that will send me a photo to my phone. Okay. You know, because I, you know, I have a couple of acres of land and I, you know, I do hunt and fish, but I got a lot of bear activity back here and I got a couple of chicken coops. So I like to keep an eye on the birds. Well, one thing you said but, just, just a few minutes ago that really interested me is the, the hindquarter was left there. and Yeah, and the hindquarter was broken in half. Right. And the funny part is that the lower half of the hindquarter from, uh, I would say, where the tarsal gland is down, the whole hind, half of the hindquarter was just simply gone. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real quick story, uh, if you guys don't mind. Um, Go ahead. There's, there's a buddy of mine, I, I'm in Oklahoma, and uh, there's a buddy of mine that hunts in this area that's, that's very wooded, and he, he deer hunts there all the time. And um, he had a tree stand, and one morning, uh, he was bow hunting, one morning a doe walked by underneath his stand, and he shot the doe. And uh, he, he waited, like you normally do if you're hunting, and uh, waited about... 20 or 30 minutes and then he then he went to find the deer and he he found a blood trail that led out in the woods and he followed the blood trail and he got to a spot where it looked like this deer just bled out i mean there was blood everywhere but the deer wasn't there and he looked around that kind of puzzled him he looked around and and found the trail he he found another trail going away from that and it was just little bitty drifts of blood. And he followed it. And he followed it all the way back around to where his deer stand was. And at the base of his deer stand was a broken hindquarter sitting at his deer stand. Wow. So. That, I mean, that, I've seen uh, deer, I mean, bear kills. I've seen coyote kills. And I, I mean, major crime scenes. Uh, when I do tracking, you know, because part of my uh, training is I do a lot of man tracking and tracking wildlife. So you'd be surprised what you, what you see out there. But to find something broken where the femur is, it's kind of kind of ironic. I tried to break it with bare hands and I just simply couldn't do it. So that's a very powerful, powerful animal, whatever did it. Absolutely. Forest, what and do you the think? funny thing is with New York, oh, ahead, the New York State region, sorry. In the New York State region in Hudson Valley, uh, you know, it's it's in New York, in New York itself. This people say, how could there be a Sasquatch? You know, this is a short. You know, there's a lot of land. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of wilderness and areas and stuff like that. But it's not as big as like, you know, other states in California or anything like that. But you know, studying wildlife, I come to realize a lot of things I learned. I spend a lot of time in the woods. I sleep in the woods for you know weeks. Sometimes the longest I've ever slept in the woods was a full month. You know, and by myself, bear hunting in the Adirondacks in a tent, you know, 
roughing it up. But um, what I'm trying to get to is that um, a lot of times, you know, these animals will live around in suburb areas. You know, I've killed some of the biggest bucks and deer uh, right behind people's houses in small little bottlenecks and, and fun, what we call funnels. I look for funnels. I don't hunt big areas like state land and stuff like that. I hunt these little bottleneck areas. I put myself where the, there's pressure in the other areas, where would the deer go? So I kind of think that in the Bigfoot situation, depending on how cold it is up in the mountains, when we get these deep freezes or maybe something, maybe they come down to the lowlands and they'll, you know, look for food that become like scavengers. And, you know, I've had many times I've drove by and I see a roadkill and then I come back to go see if I can go get it because I knew it was fresh and come to find out it's gone. I don't know if somebody took it or something else took it, you know, but it's kind of interesting. Well, I think that, uh, you know, the deer and the Bigfoot have been so accustomed to uh, humans that uh, I don't think they're as bothered. Well, I know the deer aren't, that's for sure. Um, and a lot of people feed them, too, so that gets them coming in, too. And But y'all have bigger deer up there. I'm in Texas, and you have uh, your deer are a lot uh, larger than our deer here. And I've also been all over New York, and you've got lots of forested areas up there. And uh, it's thick, too. So uh, I I think that what happens is uh, that these animals become uh, accustomed to being around humans. Uh, Bigfoot associate food with humans. And uh, so do the deer so, uh, somewhat, too. So uh, it's not un- uncommon to have them come right up into your backyard and obviously in your front, <laughs> almost in your front yard, too. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i mean i, 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 I see them all the time that, yeah i looked at that picture and and that's obviously not a bear uh a bear's uh legs would yeah, there's no no way a bear of any time you see a bear stand on his hindquarters like that he's usually either scratching on a tree or rubbing his back on a tree um yeah you know a bear are different you know than considered a white-tailed deer you know when you talk about deer up here and compared to what's in Texas, Texas, you guys got bigger racks of horn. You know, the, your coats, the coat on your deer over there is a little bit shorter. I was a little bit more longer. Our racks are, 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 are big up here, too, but it all depends on the nutrition. Um, you know, when Gary Hootenhollers contacted me and I joined NYBS, you know, um, and became part of their team thing, I'm just pretty much into tracking animal scouting, uh, setting up camp for the guys. Um you know, making sure everybody's okay and um, looking for signs. I'm very deep into finding things. Um, but what I learned about being in the woods is not never go looking for the for the quarry. Let the quarry look for you. Um, and people, one of the biggest things I've noticed that even with hunters, I don't know how it is with the Bigfoot community, but people should pay more attention to the foliage because every month plants are born and certain plants die. So what plants are available? Same thing if I had to take a team of guys to survive in the wilderness. And, and teach them which plants are edible and which are not. Just think about uh, the woods itself. What food sources are there in that particular month that you're actually either hunting or hiking, camping, or whatever it may be. So if each plant is born and each plant dies in each particular month, what is available in that month? So if someone got a sighting on, let's say, the month of December, I want to know not only the tracks, the location and the geography of everything, but I also want to know the vegetation and what's available in the food source, because sometimes you got to backtrack. 
it's like people will follow a track and to one particular direction. I don't follow the track. I go backwards. I follow, find out where this animal's coming from, where is he bending down from? Because 90% of the time, these animals backtrack and go back to where they came from. There are bedding areas as well as travel routes, as well as, you know, just simply looking for food source. What's your take on it? Well, I totally agree with you, and uh, and I'm real familiar with bear because, uh, as uh, Will and uh, Chuck know, I spent 17 years in Alaska, so uh, I've seen uh, all manner of bear up there, hundreds of them. So, um, but my question, I have a question here too. Uh, did anybody check for tracks around that? Uh, yes, that area? Uh, I checked. I checked for tracks. I looked around for every little sign you could think of. I spent, I say, pretty much a couple of hours walking around, scanning the whole area back and forth, taking, you know, pins and needles, like being on the ground looking for a blood trail. You know, and the thing is, I, you know, very careful about how I walk through those woods because I don't want to disturb something because a lot of people just walk around prancing around, kicking everything over, and you might kick over the evidence that you need to see. Mm -hmm. So I'm very careful. Same thing like I do when I'm tracking bear and deer. You know, I got to make sure I know exactly not to disturb the area. Um... I looked. I could not find nothing. Now, I'm, I'm, I pretty much find any track, but I really honestly could not find it. That's what puzzles me so much is where the hell did this thing go? Well, well Bill, it looked did like it? maybe the ground was frozen too, wasn't it? Say it again? I said it looked up. Uh, it appeared that the uh, to me that there was snow on the ground, so the, the ground probably was frozen too, wasn't it? Yeah. The ground was solid, frozen, this without a doubt. It wasn't soft snow, otherwise I would have had tracks. And even in, a, let's say, an ice storm, I have a video I put that my girl walking across a field in an ice storm, and it shows you how visible the tracks are on an ice storm. So, fortunately, there was no signs of track, human track, no nothing. But what puzzled me was the circulation on the ground of where the paunch of all the entrails from the paunch, you know, like just the greens that came out. Mm -hmm. But it looks like somebody took the greens out of its stomach and just carried the whole body away. So it's kind of, it's just puzzling. I, you know, I've seen deer get carried off by coyotes and, and eaten, you know, the next day from hunters that lost their deer. We went tracking and they found it for them. And, you know, the carcasses, the whole hindquarters were eaten up and everything else. But I could not find even a speck of hair. That's what puzzled me. So my girl, you know, what the bad thing about it with my girl is I made the biggest mistake was, uh, when she put the trail cams, I said, take it down because I don't want the guys across the road that are hunting, you know, find the camera and take the camera. And, you know, at the time, I didn't never even told her what we have on the camera or whatever. I don't want to spook her because she's out here with her birds and in the middle of the night, she walks the dogs. So I don't really want to say anything to her because she's the type of person that would panic. Well, was there any kind of precipitation that took place after the, that picture was taken? Like more snow or more ice? What do you mean? Say it again. Was there any Repeat. kind of precip that that took place after that picture was taken? No, no, nothing at all. All I like I said, you know, I I, I seen that the something was there. I said seen the shot anyway. I screenshot it. You know, I got it on the camera because it leaves the picture on there, so you can go to your history on the AT and take camera. You press the button in history, and it shows you what triggered the camera. And then I didn't see none, so, but I saw a shape. So I screenshotted. I says, you know what? Let me see. And then I says, let me show this to these guys. The first person I contacted was Long Island Bigfoot, Mike Catania, a friend of mine. And uh, he put it on his page, and then I contacted Dale, and then I uh, Gary Hootenhaller. And um, we talked about it. And it's like, you know, this is, a, this is an odd sign. I can't say it is. 
you know, I'm being very honest with you guys. You know, to me, I would just say it's a shadow for the moment to like find enough evidence, you know, and uh, but you can't. It's, 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 there was a cloudy day. There's no sunlight. And then I gave you a before and after photo and the whole scenery is totally different. So that's what, what puzzled me the most. And why would my camera alert me twice? Yeah. That is the you know, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just kind of crazy. Here I am, you know, talking to NYBS and, um, you know, I joined their team, you know, as far as the tracking and everything else concerned. And, you know, there's got a couple of things we're going to do. Um, but even me and Gary, we discussed, we're looking for tracks and stuff like that. And then he called me and told me that there's other people that have some tracks and sightings in their area. And fortunately, I noticed that a lot of the people that do find the track, they don't take measurements. They don't look at the depth. They don't look at the width. They don't look at certain things. They don't look beyond the track and look at the foliage and see the brush pile, anything blowing through the, you know, thickets or whatever it may be, uh, and sometimes when they send a photo, I just notice they send a photo of a track, but not the numerous tracks. Now, you know, one of the misconceptions I want to let everybody know online is just because an animal could be six feet, seven feet or 500 pounds doesn't mean they're always going to leave a track. I've got bear back here that is up to 800 pounds. I got photos of bears that were taken across the road. That was one was pushing up the buzz, like 750, 800 and I got the ones that run locally and not all the time they leave tracks. Why? Because their pads are so wide and the ground, depending on the texture of the ground, you know, if the ground's hard or is it rainy in the best time that I would rather look is or, you know, where the ground is kind of like soft and everything is pushed down, but it's really not all the time. Not every animal leaves a track. So what do you think guys? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're entirely correct. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've been around a lot of bear here in Northern California, and, and usually you only find the tracks in the right conditions. Exactly. And you notice something, you never find bear bones? You don't. I've only seen it one time out of being involved in this for five decades. Right, and I've been in the woods all my whole life, and I've yet to find a set of bear bones from an actual, you know, natural death or a kill or something like that. So, like, in people, I was uh, talking with Gary, and one of the conversations everybody else was talking about is how come we never find it? I says, not necessarily. You don't know if they bury it, their own dead, or you don't know if, um, you know, they take away the. We don't know. But, you know, I said the same thing. If you hunt bear all the time, but you never find a dead bear, you're lucky to find more deer dead than, than ever a bear. So, you know, no one knows. No one really, really knows. Well, Bill, I'm going to change the angle just a little bit because I'm, I'm really curious. Um, the, the people up there in New York, are, are they more susceptible to believing in Bigfoot than, than, say, others? I mean, you know, Bigfoot used to be taboo down here in Oklahoma, but it's not taboo anymore. Uh, people, there's been more sightings and more encounters, and people are beginning to realize that you know, there's a possibility that these things do exist out there. And I'm wondering if the mindset of the public there is, is about the same same way. Well, I, I think the people down here were less likely to believe it exists. You know, um, sometimes, you know, I guess the older generation tend to believe, but the younger generation not. Um, in New York State, there's not a whole lot of report sightings, or, uh, depending on the state, because, you know, like I said, Sullivan County, this, I don't know how many ever heard of in Sullivan County, but in Ulster County, yeah, 
you know, there's been sightings. There's been sightings in Route 52, which is in, in between Sullivan and Alston, that many, many years ago that the BFRFO had reported. Um, but people over here, it's different. It's more city-like. You know, uh-huh. we used to have an old saying, you know, country boys and city idiots, and the city idiots never believe nothing or know nothing because they never take the time to be in the woods. They'd rather be on a computer. <laughs> well, the country boys spend more time in the woods, so they kind of see more and understand more. Um, but I'll be honest with you, the people's uh, thing is some, I think if people do see something, they're afraid to talk. I'll be honest with you, I think there is more people who had experiences, maybe have sightings, but they're afraid to come out with it because they're afraid of the ridicule. Right. And that's the way it used to be down here, too, as well. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I remember when I had my first sighting, uh, I was laughed at and people made fun of me. And I thought, you know, I don't have to really prove it to you. I've proved it to myself. And, and you know, that's what started me on the, the way I am now. I mean, I go to the woods as much as I can and, and uh, do as much research as I can. So uh, it's just something that happens to you yeah i i believe so because you know how i got in you know with gary and them before this even took place um you know like i said this is just a bell camera and i can't distinguish exactly what it is or what it's not you know um i mean i'm being very very honest i'm a flesh and blood guy you know there's a lot of guys that believe in thousands of things i look at bigfoot pages sometimes and i see people taking pictures of shadows and all kinds of stuff and you know, it seems like uh, this. And then you talk about people who say cloaking and then you see people talking about, oh, you know what? I just look at it as a realistic form. If I see it, it's there. I'll track it. I'll find it if I, you know, and study it. Um, I had the only Bigfoot experience I had as a teenager was years ago in Ulster County and Vly Atwood Road near the power line. And um, I was hunting on an early morning on a foggy day. You know, it was, uh, I got out there with my, my 3006 set on a, whatever you call the power line, is all clear cut. And a lot of deer like to conjugate on the power line. So I sat there and looking up the hill and waited and waited and see nothing. And then I felt this feeling. And then I look and I see what looked like a bear up in the top in the middle of the power, on the third power line. And he was just standing there and peeking at me from the back of, you know, one of the power lines. So I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm saying, man, my eyes are playing tricks on me. I'm starting to get a little, it's starting to get dark out. It's almost time to get out of there. So I said, you know what? Let me put the crosshairs on them. I put the crosshairs on them. I put it on nine power and I look and I see a pair of eyes. Okay. I couldn't make out the face. It was getting dark too fast. And my, I don't have the best scope in the world. But um, I had a choice right there. It's definitely an animal. It could be a bear and I have a chance of actually tagging a bear. But then I said to myself, it's kind of weird. It's just peeking, but it's putting his head back and forth. I says, you know what? If I pull this trigger and hurt this poor animal, you know, I, I don't know if I can live with myself because these animals are elusive. And even if they do exist, you know, why would I want to hurt them? And, you know, I'd be honest with you. And I had that encounter and I told Gary and a couple of guys and people says, oh, how come you never like talked about it? I says, you don't want to be honest with you. I, I, I sometimes if I find something and see something, I don't want people to go out there and disturb its environment. I don't want people over there hunting. You know, if it's a research team that wants to go look, that's fine. But, you know, I'd be honest with you, this, these people in New, in New York, some of these hunters that just shoot anything they see sometimes, especially the city people. They, you know, they come up here, they make a lot of mistakes. Um, I think the respect of animals and if something is that elusive, you know, I would admire it and rather study it and find out, you know, over here in New York State, 
I was in Casting Road right in my my uh, ex-father-in-law's house hunting in the backfield. And I called him and I said, listen, there's a mountain lion in the back. He goes, no, nah, there's no mountain lion. I said, listen, there's a mountain lion. And he's walking across the field. Get out of your window and look. And he said he can't see it, I guess, from his window. So I called the DEC personally. And I said, listen, there's a mountain lion on, on Casting Road on Route 52. And they says, listen, there's no mountain lion exists or whatever. So I says, what if I pop this thing right now and bring you a body and show you? Because you better not shoot it. It's a $10,000 fine. I said, how could it be a $10,000 fine if they if they, they don't exist? And he says, they don't exist and don't shoot it if you ever saw one. Now, guess what? I think about a year ago, this year, or a year ago or this year, the DEC finally admitted that there was mountain lion in New York State. You know, just about a, what, two or three weeks ago, while boar crossed over Pennsylvania and the, Del- and the Delaware River, there was a whole herd of boar cross, cross you know, coming to New York State, and an ambulance on, on one of the, on the throughway just hit a, a, a 500-pound wild boar. Hmm. So what about moose? Moose from Canada. You get moose in the Adirondacks. But now in Kingston, New York, in, in Ulster County, uh, about, what, a few years ago, moose got killed on, right on the turn of the exit, on exit 18. You know, and there's been a moose on Kerhonks and hanging out with some guy, Abe Warsh's cows. Fell in love with a cow, stood there for about a week, and everybody took pictures. And then, what, last week, one in Paulding, New York. So, I don't know. It's kind of interesting how nature is just working its way down. You know, we've seen of, that in a lot know, of places, though, where away. animals are kind of filling in where people don't do much anymore. Yeah, well, it's I, true. I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to mention this. I, I, when he said that they had a cow... They had a moose falling in love with cows. I actually had a bull moose, young bull moose, that uh, came up uh, <clears throat> and was trying to court my mares when we lived in Alaska. Uh, of course, my mares would have would have nothing uh, of it, but he would stand at that fence, and, and oh, my God, it was so funny. Uh, he was in love with my horses, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I guess horses actually resemble <laughs> a moose more than than even a cow does but it was it was the funniest thing to watch that poor young bull moose out there it's like uh, you need to to mosey on along and you know those suckers are dangerous when they're in rut uh, they are extremely yes dangerous yes yes definitely <laughs> definitely but like i said eight my friend had a cow i actually fell in love with a hung out with this cow for like a whole week and then it finally he decided to leave people took pictures <laughs> like crazy and, uh, you know, New York State is abundant with a lot of wildlife, and there's a lot of areas that are untouched by man. So we don't know what's up there. You know, hopefully in the spring we can, you know, go deeper into the interior and explore. And we're hoping to get some calls in if anybody calls in and maybe we could check some stuff out. <laughs> Me, I'm just an outdoorsman. You know, I, I'm a survivalist. I'm a prepper. I, I, I have my own page because I teach, you know, if anything, if the grid ever goes down your home and everything else. But at the same time, I do a lot of time with nature and everything because um that's what you got to learn it's just amazing you know how much technology these younger generation have you know like my my uh sister's son says to me he says you know you got to learn the computer you got to learn this and i'm a little bit old school so he says you know this is the future and i says it's amazing how much technology you know but you don't even know what kind of blade of grass grows under your feet mm. so if i took that away from you and put you outside let me find me some food and they couldn't yeah. do it. You know, where they're so out of touch with nature, the new generation. So, you know, this is why kind of like maybe we're seeing more sightings and maybe things are happening because they're being pressured because a lot of people are buying out land. You know, since COVID happened, there's been a big rush of people from New York City into New York State buying properties, buying houses. 
Uh, I think the, the, the influx of so many people coming in is causing, might, might have created a, a little bit of a problem or changing the movement patterns of all wildlife. Well, that's, that's funny that you should mention that because I actually had mentioned that to Will um, today and uh, when we were texting back and forth that I think that a lot of this, <clears throat> and you mentioned the pandemic uh, also because the pandemic occurred and, and nobody was, uh, you know, nobody was working. All these places were closed down and all of a sudden they had wildlife literally wandering down the streets of towns. Now, I'm not saying they were wandering down the streets of... Uh, no, they York were. City. They were, definitely. Were they really? Okay. Well, uh, they certainly had seen a lot of, uh, uh, you know, photos of them wandering around uh, the towns. Now, that's not uncommon in, up in Alaska. You might even have bear come in downtown uh, Anchorage there or even Fairbanks, but uh, they just do that. But, um, you know, all of a sudden, uh, places that didn't have this type of uh, animal behavior occurring... It was occurring in these towns, and I mean, they would have uh, deer, you know, walking down and, and, and gazing into the shops and, and, and moose and bear and everything else, and, and you know it's got to be going through these animals' minds, like, uh, what happened to all the people, you know? And, and then plus, just like you said, after the pandemic, you've got all these people, and we're suffering from it here in Texas, uh, you know, uh, I, <clears throat> uh, we and we just assume all these people that are moving from elsewhere don't come here. Uh, but that's just the way we are here in Texas. But, uh, um, and I think that has a lot to do with some of these animals showing yes. up in people's backyards because they're being pressured to move out of their natural habitat. Well, here, so they got to go someplace to live. You know, an, you know? Well, <clears throat> exactly. You know, an interesting well, development I've got recently here, and I mean, just in this past week is typically Sasquatch activity is the lowest this time of year and is much higher in the, in the summer and fall. But I've got seven real active locations right now around the country, and it's it's almost unheard of. Well, Will, correct well, me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there, uh, during, during the pandemic, wasn't there Bigfoot even spotted in downtown areas in some places? Pretty, in some of the smaller communities, yes. Yeah, there was one there was one found uh in Gail uh actually brought that up to me that one in the dumpster in the McDonald's uh by employees uh was spotted recently. Um like with the pandemic, you know, I, I was I was an essential worker, so I traveled from New York State to New York City while the highways were closed. I was the only one allowed uh to go through. And to believe me, if you should have seen all these deer and the herds all over the roads and the streets and everything, and I was like, oh, my God, a semi comes down here, going to be blasting deer all over the place. But um, I think that happened because um, the less amount of people, the animals got comfortable and mm-hmm. was able to cross these roads to different areas. When we think about Bigfoot, um, the activity and the time of the year, you know, the snow up in the mountains, we are really cold further up north or up higher in these um, higher altitudes. I'm sure that the food source is really bad. So they would have to come down to the lowlands and eat. Uh, the re- But when people say, well, we have more activity in the summer. Yes, you do, because it's, you know, there's more foliage, there's ba- they're having babies, breeding, uh, most of the animals breed during the wintertime, and they have babies in spring. Um I think it all depends on the deer activity. I guess if you follow the deer and follow the wildlife, eventually it it, it should assume to follow that. Um, 
fine one? I don't know. I haven't seen uh, much of anything, to be honest with you. I had an experience as a teenager, as a kid, and until this day, I, I just say it's a bear. You know, um, people would think I'm nuts. I could have pulled the trigger and found out, but it was not something a wise thing to do and something I would never do. You know, and here I am. I live up in New York State. I got a couple of acres of land, and I don't even hunt here. I travel an hour out to another county and hunt in my old honey home where I used to be as a kid. And yet I got all these 30 or 40 deer in my side of the, my woods. Why? Because the 300 acres across the street get pressured and they come onto my side. So I don't even, I put poster signs. So they have a sanctuary, a place to stay so no one can hunt them. And, you know, and even if I'm a hunter and I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot none of them. I see them all the time. So I leave the does alone. When they come in heat, the bucks come out of the woodworks. And then you, if you want to harvest one with a bow and arrow or something, that's fine. But to be very honest with you, um, you know, I, tra- I literally travel far just to go stuff and people say, you're crazy. You got more deer on your property than where you go. I says, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Same thing with wildlife. You know, even as a hunter, it comes to a time when you have to respect nature itself. You know, and when I harvest an animal, it's an old animal that's, you know, past its breeding time and kind of like pretty much done. Um, I leave the little ones to grow. Leave them alone. I mean, these guys and these city people and they disturb the woods. It's just... Could you imagine if Bigfoot, you know, is is out there, you know, uh, wonder what must be in them in their mindset, of how to deal with the people, the dogs, uh, animals, cars, traffic, you know, I mean, they could live right under your nose and you would never know. Same thing like you ever see these little bungalow colonies that the Jewish camps we have in, uh, in Sullivan County. You know how many bear were seen coming out of the basement of these little colonies? What makes you think a Bigfoot would not live underneath a building? And old structures that were abandoned and stuff. Those are the places I would love to try to explore. Hmm. Your, your place sounds like my place because uh, <clears throat> I've got a ton of white tailed deer on my ranch, but I don't let anybody hunt here, much to the chagrin of my son in laws. But, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. You know, it's a sin to kill an animal if you're not going to consume it. And you have to well, respect. I always say a prayer before I go in the woods and a prayer after the hunt. It's just something oh, they, for myself. I hunt by myself. <laughs> they would you know, eat them, but just, I, just like my pets here, you know. So I, I can't. <laughs> I mean, come out here and eat with my horses and everything else. So it's like, no, I could never kill them. <laughs> I have a little bear technique. I want you guys to listen to this and just tell me if this might work for an actual expedition. Years ago, I was invited uh, to do some scouting in, in Schoharie County in East Durham, and there's a lot of bear that guys wanted to hunt some bear. So I um, decided to hunt myself on a ridge. So what I did is I, I worked during the you know summertime. I had a sweatshirt on, and I would sweat like crazy. I'd take it off and nail it to the tree where, up in the top of the ridge. And what happened is when I went to go check that sweatshirt within two to three days later, it was torn to shreds. So I mm. took the sweatshirt off and I wore another one during while I'm working and everything. And then I replaced it. I went back a week later. It was still shredded. After the third time, I noticed the shredding was light. It was very lightly. And then after the fourth or fifth time, I got a little bit of a shred. And then the last time, the sweatshirt was untouched. But I come to find out that when I put that sweatshirt there, the bear that came by, he, rec- he, he saw my scent. He let me know. Hey, this is my territory. Stay out of here. I know who you are. Um, and his aggression mode was out of a defensive mode. So he was letting me know, stay, you know, who he was. 
And as time went by and he came by and visited that and he shredded, then it, eventually he left it alone. And when he left it alone, that gave me the telltale sign to go hunt this animal because now he recognized my scent. I was no longer a threat to him. So I popped up on my, on a stand. I put up a stand about a hundred yards out during bear season. And I sat there and just before dark, I just could barely see a little bit. Here comes this big body animal. I watched him walk across and he went right to where my sweatshirt would be, sniffed around the tree, turned around and went back the other way. I didn't even harvest them. I left them alone. I just wanted to see, you know, what was actually happening. And I learned that sometimes your introduction of scent of what you do when you go in the woods is sometimes it's good to leave something of your scent around so they get accustomed to it. And maybe just maybe, I don't know if it's going to work. I, I can't say it will, but maybe, and it works with deer. It works with bear. It works with everything else. Maybe at some point an animal will accept you. So your presence without being alarmed. A lot of times if they, if they get a little whiff of you, they avoid you like a plague. They're gone, simply gone. So something, maybe that's something, a little tip maybe you guys can check out. That is, that is very interesting. Yeah, I learned that from an old. I learned that from an old timer many years ago. Any thoughts first? Yeah, I had an old guy. He said to me, I, "Once he taught me how to do that, and he explained to me, I, I totally forgot about it. Years later, I remembered and I tried, and it worked." He was the crazy guy that used to laugh at him because every time he went hunting, he carried a big bag of freaking wooden clocks. And I'm like, "What is this?" He would put a clock on a tree, set the time, go down another hundred yards, set another clock down, and and then he would sit on a ridge. And then at a, early in the morning, the first clock went off. The second clock, there was a herd her of deer running. He did an actual deer drive using clocks. <laughs> but this guy was so smart. He was wood savvy. You know, years ago when we were at the camp, uh, I remember as, as a young kid, he was, you know, he said to go out and feed the dogs in the morning. So I, I said, okay. So I went to sleep, and it was my turn to go take care of the dog. He had his big pointer dog in the back. And he had a long chain with a doghouse, and I was sleeping, and I heard noise, the dog screaming, screaming. I was like, what the hell is going on? So I woke him up. I said, hey, Ken, the dog is uh, going crazy. Something's wrong with him. Ah, don't worry about it. He's always barking at the raccoons and hunting all kinds of animals. You know, he's always making noise. Don't, don't worry about it. But then it, the eerie sound again, and I, I said, Ken, something wrong with this dog. He goes, well, would you go back to bed? And I get him in the morning. Him, bring him his food and water. That's what he wants. I says, okay. I went back to bed. Got up in the morning, it was pouring rain out and foggy. I go out to the back, I couldn't even see the damn dog, and I see the chain wrapped behind a tree. So I go behind a tree and look to go feed this dog, and his freaking, uh, his freaking head was on the collar, but half of his body was gone. Oh my God. So we free, I freaked the hell out. I ran in the house, I called him, Ken went out there, he was freaking cursing and screaming, and he was like all emotional. So he goes, I know. I said, we looked around and we found bear tracks. He says, I know where this bear is. He's going to be across the road. He's going to be by McCorkle Swamp and he's going to be up on this high ridge. I'll be there tomorrow morning. I'm going get, to get him. And, you know, I just thought he was kind of full of crap, you know, because, but how are you going to find some? A bear's range is so freaking huge, you know, five square miles. Easy. So, um, sure enough, the next day morning, he called me to, and the boys to come up there with the pickup truck. He had the big boar, the huge bear. And he, he tagged him, and when he got him out, he found parts of his dog. Mm. And the old man passed away, but he, you know, I kind of like learned some of this wood savvy stuff with him because I found it very interesting. 
you know, I am not going to walk with clocks. Don't get me wrong. I ain't carrying no damn bag of clocks. But the sweatshirt technique actually worked. And I do it in my deer stand where I hunt. And you know what? Every time these deer come by, they're not even spooked. They, they, they can pick up their nose in the air and they're like laxed and calm. It's easy for me to put my place, my shot placement and make the, the shot count. Yeah, well, I think you, reason with them, if they become accustomed to the scent, then it's not going to bother them. Yeah. You know, and scent control. You know, I, I, I talk with Gary and all the guys that, you know, they ask me about putting out scents and stuff. I says it's not going to work. First of all, even with hunters, you can't put dough and heat scent uh, out if the deer are not in heat. You know, you, you know, every deer is not the same. Some does come in season earlier than others and, you know, for a certain period of time. And deer know the difference. You know, you can't put the dough and heat if they're not in heat. And then, you know, if you're going to use up cover-up scents, I'd rather just wash my clothes and leave it hanging outside than to put anything on it. Because people say, oh, I'll put skunk piss and this, that, and that, all kinds, uh, you know, fox urine. I said, why would you want to use any predatory urine? That's, a, that's an alarm system. That's danger. You know what I mean? And if there's an animal hunting that predator, isn't he going to come to you? Just common sense. <laughs> yeah, I was... I always put my clothes in a in a trash bag full of cedar branches, and um, I, I know that that masks a little bit, but I mean a little bit helps every now and then. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. It's just I always say no sense is the best sense. Just pay attention to the wind and your direction and entry and point back back and forth. Um, I mean I've seen a lot of people use sense, but they use it the wrong way. You know what I do. Um, and I don't know if this might work if you guys using uh, any kind of other stuff. Like I would cut the tarsal glands off of a buck and collect the urine. And I would put it in the fridge in a glass bottle. And I would wait another year or two before I actually introduce it to the environment. Because why? Because every animal species has social status groups. So if all the deer in that area know that buck is around, you know, they're going to be alarmed. But if that buck disappears and then two or three years later, there's another group or another buck or another dominant animal establishing himself, you introduce that scent to the area, that becomes uh, an eye an eye opener and he's going to come and check it out. You know, it's basically more of a curiosity scent, but also an aggression scent because the deer themselves will notice that this scent is foreign because, you know, this is an animal that was killed maybe years ago and it's no longer around. So these are different, you know, animals in the area. So I was wondering when you watch these videos of people using primate scents and stuff like that, um, I don't know the effect of how it's going to work, but, you know, this is just something that always curiosity me. How do you introduce different scents? You have sexual scents, curiosity scents, and dominancy scents, and, you know, and the animals in heat. So, you know, how do you introduce that? to that particular environment at the particular time of the year. This is the problem. Unless you study the wildlife and know exactly what's going on, see the patterns changing, it's hard to do that. So sometimes when I look at the Gary talking, a lot of researchers, they try to experiment with so many different things. It's fine and dandy. But I think you should introduce your scent, natural scent, to the environment like weeks or maybe a month in a, in, in ahead of schedule if you're going to be in that particular, if you've got time to like camp out or whatever. I'm not saying just do it the same day. But I think no sense is the best sense and just uh, a slow approach. What do you guys think? Well, Forrest, let me ask you a question since we're on this kind of topic. Um, I wouldn't think that primate scent would 
be an attract attractive thing to to Bigfoot. How about how about what you say? No, I don't think so either. Uh, you know, primates uh, primates are attracted to the the scent that's specific to that particular primate, and right. uh, I doubt very seriously Bigfoot's going to be interested in gorilla scent or uh, human scent. Yes, I have to agree with her. Yes, and, and they've never uh, and they've uh, never been around those scent, primates. But, Huh? Yeah, they've never been around those primates, so they'd be totally unfamiliar with it. Exactly. exactly. It just be, it'd just be a peculiar scent to them. I mean, it would, I don't think there's any attraction. And I, I know you and I have had this discussion before, Will, that I just laugh when I see all these groups that go out there. Oh, we hung primate scent estrus in the trees. Oh, it was that, that TV show. They, oh, my. That TV show, that, what is it? The uh, I can't think of the name, what they call it, one of the newest one that's out there. They took a drone, and they took... Um, Primate oh, fern. Beyond the Trail? No, um, the TV show. Um, um, I can't think of it. I don't pay attention. Oh, I know which one you're yeah, talking I, I about. They had, it, they had it attached to a drone or something right, the, flying the, it through the floor. And this person's a primatologist yeah. of all things, and she takes primate pheromones and they spray it all over, you know, from hell to breakfast Is all that, over the forest area from a drone. Well, number one. Is that the Olympic Project? No, no, no. It's a TV show. Oh, okay. Uh, Expedition Bigfoot, I yeah. think. So, number one. Yeah, yeah. In, the woman, in the woman, doesn't she have long blonde hair or something? I, and she's, I, uh, she's supposed to be an anthropologist. She, she's, yeah. A, yeah. she's a primatologist. She should know better. Oh, a primatologist. So, number okay. one, it tells me that's a shotgun approach. You're just throwing stuff out there any old place, hoping, hoping something will stick to the wall when you throw it. And secondly, yeah. she should know these creatures would be totally unfamiliar with any other primates because there's been no exposure whatsoever. Yeah, and they'd probably put them off anyway. I mean, oh, yeah. they'd probably like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> and first, you know how it is with, with in the primate world. If if it's something doesn't belong in their area, they're extremely wary of it. Oh, they're gone. They're, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with you 100%, and you're, you're 100% right. You can introduce scent that is not in that area, is that is foreign. Anything that's foreign, doesn't matter what it is, it's not of its nature in, 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 that, in that particular environment. So it's going to be a very alarming uh, thing. Another thing too. I, I'm watching these shows and I see people knocking on the trees with a baseball bat. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be honest with you. If there is a big, if Bigfoot is out there and he kind of like wants to let you know that he's, you know, eyeballing you, he'll probably knock on a tree once or twice, and then he'll it'll be dead silent. And meanwhile, he could be horseshoeing around you and walking, checking you out. You know, because they're, if they they would be an animal of curiosity first and foremost. But the problem is, if you start banging on a tree, now you're showing total aggression. How do you know if that banging that he did says, you know, stay out of my area, I just want to be left alone? And most So likely. now you're going over there, banging the hell out of this tree, making a fool out of yourself, and all you're doing is disrupting the uh, wildlife and pushing them further out away from you. You know, the best approach is the quietest approach, I would believe. And then as a, as a research team, you know, and I started getting involved. Well, I do it because I'm a survivalist, so I got these guys I got to be responsible for, teaching them all kinds of stuff. But as a research team, the, the whole team, everybody has a protocol and set, you know, collect data and everything. And all that data goes to the team leader, whoever's responsible, and that's theirs. Not other groups, not bouncing around, but the thing is we need to educate uh, people in general that if they do believe in Bigfoot, if they do find the track, and to call immediately, don't call six weeks later with a photo. Um, have guys come and measure this track. Uh, make some measurements. Take some photos. Um, you know, 
Cast so we it. can check it out, analyze it, whether it's true or not. I'm not going to tell the person, hey, what you're looking at is not what you're looking at. I'm not going to debunk them. What I'm going to do is analyze it and then come to my team to say, hey, you know what? What do you guys think? You know how many tracks I've checked out and I had to literally debunk them personally because it's not a track. You know, you're talking about snow. You know, if a person steps with your boot, your boot and then and it's snowing today and then the humidity drops, that freaking track is 10 times wider. Okay, and it spreads out. There's a lot of things that happens to a track. Same thing with coyote track and, and deer track. You know, and people say, wait a minute, what what does the deer track got to do with it? When you look at a, the deer hoofs, each inch of a hoof, the distance of a hoof, you know, uh, the length of it determines the, the age of the, the animal and the weight, the body weight. The same thing, like when you look at a coyote track, he steps on a track in the snow. Go to that track two, three weeks later. That track looks like a damn wolf track. It's 10 times the size. So if people today find something, try to analyze it real quick right there and then and get uh, everything, measurements, the whole nine yards. But I guess, you know, not too many people into it like that. But it's a shame because there might be a lot of evidence out there that is totally lost and it gets all messed up because they're not doing it at the proper time. You're exactly correct. Well, it's funny that you made mention of the, the uh, whacking wood on trees and such because, uh, again, we'll, we've discussed this before. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, the point being is that, uh, you know, just like you said, uh, wood knocks, whoops, and even screams that you've seen all these people doing on TV you have no earthly idea what that means to a Bigfoot. Well, and you know, have exactly. no idea why a Bigfoot is doing it. So why in the heck would you be doing it when you have no idea what, in fact, I mean, there's, you have no idea what well, you're portraying you, to them. It, it, here's, again, it's, so well said. Again, it's, it's got two things that they're trying to accomplish with it. Number one, it's a shotgun approach because they have no idea what they're doing. So they're just trying anything to try to elicit a response. And secondly, if it's on TV, well, they have, you know how it is with this subject, it's uh, evidence is very non-tangible most often. So they're trying to give the impression that they have something tangible for an audience. And and in regards to wood knocking, um, when you look back through the history of this subject, that's something that was never, never, ever talked about. Whistling Mm -hmm. by the Native Americans, that was number one. Yes, Uh, yes. And and we get people now that have heard whistling. You know, that we bring it up and talk about it, they listen for it. Uh, the screams, we've got two locations currently right now where there's a bunch of screams going on, some really good stuff. I got some people going in to record that stuff. Um, let's see, where was I going? Oh, on the wood knock thing, too. It, you know, if you go out and try that, that doesn't that noise doesn't carry very far in the woods, you know, because all the other vegetation will absorb those sound waves pretty quickly. Uh it's yeah. more likely it's tongue popping. Yep. You know, uh, getting to what you say, as I said, a hundred percent. I mean, you guys are fantastic. You guys are actually bringing it out on the open, which is so true. Um, I learned one thing. Um, when you learn to call, like I turkey hunt, you know, using a turkey call and natural animal calls at times actually attracts different animals. I've called it. I've actually was calling turkey and attracted deer right to me um so if you look at other wildlife um calls 
you know, like squirrel hunting. I would just take two stones. I don't go out there and, uh, you know, I would just take two little stones and tap them to each other. Hide behind a brush, tap the stones. And you see all these squirrels coming out of the top of the trees, just popping their head to check out what it is. So these little minute sounds, um, like you said, the whistling sounds, even a, a, uh, a small little flute, uh, like, you know, a flute, maybe that'll work. Mm-hmm. Um, try something that is uh, more of a curiosity, interesting thing. Even use natural animal sounds. Because if there is a squatch out there and he's looking for food range, or maybe he's got, um, an, maybe he's detected you, but he doesn't know exactly what you are. And then all of a sudden you make a turkey call or make another animal call. He might be attracted to come in further because now you're something that's a natural from his natural environment not something that he's going to be a little too spooked. You actually got his uh, nervousness a little bit calmed down because if they're bipedal and they have something in relation to us, uh, you know, we really don't know what they are, what they do, uh, what attracts them. We have to try to try different things, but I like to try different stuff in, in its natural environment, its natural state as much as possible. I don't want to sound like a human and act like a human and make a lot of noise. I want to be as quiet as possible. Um, in survival, like in what we do, is like even with the tracks, one of the things I used to tell people when they go hiking, here's a little tip too, guys. Um, take a piece of tin foil and put it on your floor, on your mat, on the floor, and step in it with your boot. It's going to leave an imprint of your boot. Take that, sign your name, your age, your date, and your whereabouts, and put it on the dashboard of your car. So in case you get lost in the woods, I can go look at that track, and then I can know what track I'm looking at to go track you and find you. That's a you good know, tip. So as a, safety, yeah, good as, a sa- as a safety tip. So in the same sense, if you think there's a Sasquatch in the area, and he's using in the area on a consistent basis, I would rake the dirt like I do with some animals. Okay, I would rake the dirt out, and I would put light powder on it, baby powder, and then mix it with the dirt a little bit so that when he does step on it, even if he steps on it lightly and, and doesn't give too much of a track, wherever he's going, he's going to leave the powder residue. So same thing like the deer or the bear, especially the bear. That's why I do it with the bear, you know. And um, so basically, you know, these are a lot of different things you can do. And... Even with the perimeter and the camping site, you know, um, I I don't like to put alarms or nothing around, but 75 uh, uh, circle perimeter, I would put the, you know, the trip wires. And I would put a little percussion cap so that it makes a little tiny, like a light firecracker sound, only if something comes in to camp way too close to give us time to get, you know, uh, alert. But you don't want to disturb an area and set up cameras and all. They listen. You, everything you touch leaves scent. You know, if you look at a trapper, why does a trapper wear rubber gloves every time he sets his traps? Because it leaves scent. Anything you touch leaves scent. A lot oh. of guys grab. I'm watching these shows and they're using their bare hands. Don't mm-hmm. you know you leave scent? You don't even know what the scent levels of this animal is in their nose or what they can breathe and what they can do and what they can sense. We don't know nothing about them. We're still learning. Well, we know they use scent sometimes because we get many reports and in historical reports of them sniffing the air, you know, and maybe yeah. not see, being able to see a person, but they sniff, people have watched them sniff the air. Uh, and also primates are, all primates are highly intelligent. So as Forrest will attest that, uh, like game cameras, for instance, the reason they don't work is because you put the game camera out in their area and they avoid it like the plague because it doesn't belong there. But now in your situation, you had the camera on your house. So that belongs to a human dwelling. And they didn't pay any attention to it. 
You know, one of the things that kind of intrigued me was I watched a video with a girl walking by and this deer was like trying to jump on her and literally trying to rape her because, you know, fortunately, you know, she she had her period and, you know, this is a deer now. So what makes you think that if a woman is an estrus or any animal is an estrus that it doesn't attract anything? It could attract dogs, it can attract, you know, it's amazing how a dog can find another dog miles away, so can a deer. Um, you know, I've heard of deer traveling up to 28 miles to come out into an area and breed a doe and then go travel back that 28 miles. So it's, you know, we don't know. We don't know, you know, but we can try to analyze certain things and then take a log down, log everything down and figure out what to see what works and what didn't work. And just because it didn't work today doesn't mean it's not going to work tomorrow. Right. You know, um, I told the guys when we hunt in survivalists, uh, even with the animals, you know, every animal is a different animal and it has to be studied accordingly. You know, you have to learn something about the animal. Now, you say white-tailed deer. If I ask you guys right now, how many species of white-tailed deer are there? I couldn't answer that. I know there's, uh, right. I think there's uh, a variety of them. Right. There's 26 subspecies of white-tailed deer. The deer's intestines are 67 feet long and they got three stomachs. This is the reason why they can hold up in different temperature changes for days without eating because they already filled up the night before. So if a, we don't know even the digestive tract of a squatch, um, if, you know, if this food source is so less abundant, how are they able to hanging it out long, you know, and deal with, with so much stress, you know, and, you know, as beautiful as nature it is, it is just as deceiving and dangerous as, as anything else. Um, there's a lot of things you got to look at. Like I said, like I mentioned once before about the food source and the plant vegetation, uh, the game in the area, you know, why do you think Native Americans, Indians used to travel and follow the herds because they knew the herds weren't going to stay there because the plant species died and they had to go move to different areas to range. And if the herds move, so would the squatch, wouldn't it be? That's right. Listen, everyone, we're running short on time. Um, any yes. final thoughts or questions? Well, I just want to no. thank you guys for having me on the show. And, <laughs> Interesting. And where where can people see the pictures that you got? Um, I send them to Gail, and I think I sent them to your uh, page, if I'm not mistaken, your um, Facebook page. Okay, I'll put them up on the uh, the JRG. Take a look. Like I said, you know, I, I, I myself would consider that a shadow, but to trigger my cameras, it has to be motion. Well, it's, so it's, it's interesting. So it's kind of weird, sure. but like I said, I'm a flesh and blood guy, you know, and yeah, I am realistic <laughs> with certain things. And But, you know, I'm not going to doubt any of the different opinions and different ideas and different situations because we don't know. We're st we don't know nothing about this uh, animal. We're still learning. If we did know, you know, we would really know where to go and what to do. But unfortunately, we got millions of dollars of technology and equipment and thousands of researchers, and we're still looking for an answer. Chuck, Forrest, any final co thoughts or comments? Well, Bill, this has been a very interesting conversation with you, and, and I appreciate you coming on, and um, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. No, I thoroughly enjoyed guys. that. I've learned a lot about hunting now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always great. You guys to have are somebody. amazing, and much love from us from New York and from the NYBS and from Gail and everybody else. She's a fantastic researcher. She is. Um, yes. Keep up the great work, guys. Uh, you guys are amazing. Thank you for having me on the show. And like I said, check it out. It's you know it's what came on the camera. I can't say it is, and I can't say it ain't. But until then, the you know, I found it interesting. So. We'll keep right. trying. 
I'll uh, for folks listening, I'll put the pictures on the uh, on Facebook, the JRG Research Group page, so you can take a look and also take a look at Gail Beatty's uh, page. So thanks, file everyone, and uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open now.